Good morning. My name is Kim Cartwright, and I am the pastor of Bethel United Methodist Church. We're located in South Central Pennsylvania, and we welcome you to our time of worship this morning. It is December 6, 2022nd Sunday in Advent. And our theme for Advent this year is Company is Coming. This week's message is entitled Cleanup Crew. Psalm 85.8 says this, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Our call to worship is based on Isaiah 41 to 11. Listen, the voice of God calls out across the ages. We hear and respond. We rise up to worship God from the valleys, the mountains, and the plains. Like a shepherd, God leads us and tenderly gathers us together. Comfort, comfort, O my people, says our God of love. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Oh God, you call us from the wild places. You call us from the inner chambers of our heart. We come in answer to your call. We come to pray, to praise, to learn of your love for all creation Reveal your glory that we may see it together. Inform and inspire us to seek your kingdom on earth in our time. Amen. Second Sunday of Advent, and today, as we light the Advent candle, we are lighting the candle of love. Our lists are long, even in this strange mess where we live these days, and we want to do it right. We want to be safe, but we want to be able to enjoy the season. We've got work to do to put right what has gone wrong, to heal what is broken, to mend the relationships, and to prepare for the company that will come. The prophet Isaiah reminded us that there is work to be done. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. When God comes in, then healing is to be found. We need to make the way. We need to open the door into our lives. So we light this candle as a sign of God's love for us and a sign of our faith that the God we worship is not far from us and that we can clear the way for that God to come and dwell with us. We light these candles in faith that company is coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Our gospel lesson today is Mark 1, 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, 
and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Our New Testament lesson is 2 Peter 3, 8 to 15a. Peter writes this. But do not but do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that the with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by peace, by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here, Mark begins his gospel by quoting the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40. A voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then in verse four, John the baptizer appears. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, according to gospel writer Mark. Isaiah's prophecy was written some 800 years before the birth of Christ. And for the nation of Israel, it had been 400 years since they had heard anything from God. The last prophet they had heard from was Malachi, who wrote the last book of the Old Testament. And then silence for four centuries. And then John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness. He's dressed in camel's hair. He's eating a diet of locust and honey, and I am sure he seemed a little bit odd, but he caught Israel's attention because he reminded them of someone, someone their parents and grandparents had told them about, someone they had learned about at synagogue, and that someone was the prophet Elijah. John's appearance stirred interest, but his message was compelling too. He preached repentance. He preached turning away from sin. But he also preached something 
that they desperately needed, and that was the message of hope. The message wasn't about him at all. He was just the one God sent to make the way for that someone greater who was yet to come. And this one, well, John says he wasn't even worthy of bending down to fix his sandal straps. We don't think of talking about sin and repentance and hope all in the same sentence. But John's message truly was of hope because John's message was that the coming of the Messiah was imminent. And the people flocked to John in droves. If you remember last week, we talked about the mess that Israel had made of their lives. And Isaiah's call to clean things up, it was a call to return, to repent, to be renewed by God. And after hundreds of years of silence from God, John had been sent in to help, to prepare the way for Jesus. As Isaiah had said, there were things that needed straightened out. And he used this imagery of the earth, valleys lifted up, mountains leveled, uneven grounds made smooth. And it brought to mind a stretch of Route 322, which I have traveled my whole life. And that's the stretch that runs from Phillipsburg to State College, Pennsylvania. I got to doing a little bit of research, and in 1937, Route 322 began when it replaced PA-5 between Harrisburg and Westchester. And Route 322 has continued to change and improve through the years. New construction continues even now. I've, I know in my travels, it's, it's changing uh, outside of State College near Potter's Mills. But Route 322 didn't just happen. It didn't just magically appear one day. It's been a lot of work. Mountains were cut through. Ground was made even and smooth. Roads were made so that people could travel with greater ease. And it has been a process. And what prophets like Isaiah and John were saying was that the Israelites had some work to do before the Messiah came. It didn't involve heavy equipment or blasting materials or asphalt, but there was a process. Repent of your sins. Return to God and be baptized as a sign of a changed life. For the mess that Israel had made of their lives, John was, in a sense, sent in as the cleanup crew. Or maybe he was the foreman of the crew. Either way, he was there to help people through the process. He was there to help them get ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And when John challenged the people to confess sin individually, he signaled this start of a new way to relate to God, a personal relationship with God. And for that, change was necessary because to hear and understand Jesus' message of forgiveness, you have to admit that you need forgiveness in the first place. So John's message was really the same as Isaiah's. Repent and prepare to receive Christ. Turn away from the attractions of the world, sinful temptations, Harmful attitudes, turn yourself instead towards Jesus. And then God can work in your life to give you a new start. For John, the call to baptism was a visible sign that a person decided to change. They decided to give up their old selfish ways and turn back to God. It was a symbolic washing away of the old life. And actually, it came from a a Jewish tradition of baptism 
That was one that non-Jews went through, a ritual they went through, if they were converting to the Jewish faith. But John taught this as a changed way of life, as turning back to God, to be ready for the Messiah. But he always taught that while he baptized with water as a symbol of their changed life, the one who was yet to come would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And that baptism would bring about a true change of self, a change of spirit and mind. I like the message translation of Mark 1. Mark 1, 7 to 8 in the, in the message says this. John said the real action, the real action comes next. The star in this drama to whom I am a mere stagehand will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. Mark 1, 3, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. You know, friends, John appears every Advent to remind us that we haven't been paying enough attention. He shouts to wake us up. He still dresses oddly to capture our fascination. He storms up and down the riverbank, and now he's asking us to take the plunge. He invites us into a changed life in Christ, a life where Christ changes us from the inside out. And John is also asking us to participate. He's telling us that we've got streets to level down, mountains to blast through, curves that need straightened. John reminds us that there's work to be done and a response is needed. John wants us to be participants in the living out of our own salvation. He asks us to be partners and contributors in God's kingdom. He asks us to join the road crew. I find it interesting that John's strange appearance and lifestyle drew people to him at first. They wanted to see what was going on out there in the wilderness. But this in turn opened the door for him to draw people to the Savior Jesus. We are called to have a different appearance. We are called to change lives, lives that look different, feel different, sound different, lives that cause people to pay attention, to pause like John's did. We don't have to dress in camel's hair. We don't have to eat even one locust. But we are called to Christ-like lives that offer love and security and hope. Lives that say to others, you are invited into God's kingdom because he loves you. And Jesus died for you too. We are now to be the bearers of hope in this world until Christ comes again. And if the world needs anything right about now, it is a message of hope. I believe even in a year like this one, Jesus asks us to continue this work of making paths straight and smoothing out uneven ground. And I'm also pretty sure that I'm not the only one this year who has had thoughts of his second coming. Maybe this is the year. Maybe we've even allowed ourselves to think things like, where on earth is he? What is holding God up? What could he possibly be waiting for? We will sing at the end of the service today, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Our second scripture of the 
of the morning, 2 Peter 3, 8 to 15, offers us some assurance that he is coming, but it might not be the assurance that we want to hear. Peter says the Lord isn't slow. He's not lagging behind and he hasn't forgotten his promise. No, the Lord is patient. We are the ones who are not. We're the ones who get distracted and fall behind. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Peter reminds us that the second coming of Christ, his second advent, is a sure and certain thing. But that day will come like a thief. It will be unexpected, a surprise, So we need to be prepared and live a life that helps others to be prepared too. Peter writes, since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow, do you see how essential it is to live a holy life? And then further down, he says, so my friends, since this is what you have to look forward to, do your very best to be found living at your best in purity and peace. The glory of Christmas is this, that there is a silent night because there is a need to listen and to shut out the distracting noise of the world, the noise of our own brokenness. But Mark reminds us that the Lord's highway is a two-way street. Our call is to listen and then to respond, to announce, to proclaim, to make the way. Isaiah says this, I love the wording here, I like the enthusiasm. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. Company is coming, my friends, and we need to make ready. We need to make ourselves ready. We need to help the world to be ready. We need to help the loved ones that we have in our lives to be ready for the one who comes to lead us home. And the joy in all of this is that we get to be a part of the cleanup crew. This isn't a menial task. It is not a meaningless task. This is the glory of the Lord. And our hope lies in the promise that Christ is coming again to take his children home. May our deepest desire this holiday season be to bring this hope within us to the world around us as we wait for that day. Amen. Let's pray. Holy One, into mess you sent perfection. Wrapped in flesh like ours, flesh that is weak, flesh that makes mistakes, flesh that has a liking for wrong even more than it does for right, you sent Jesus for your people. However, he never messed up. He never went the wrong way, and he never broke your heart. May we, those whom you love more 
then we know how to love ourselves, strive to be more like him. We pray, God, that our lives make room for you to appear. Powerful God, we are unworthy of even unlacing your shoes, but let all that we do bring you glory. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen. I invite you now to join me in the Lord's Prayer as you are accustomed to praying it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'll leave you with closing words today from the United Methodist Discipleship webpage. This is a benediction entitled, God has been patient, you be faithful. You with whom God has been patient, you to whom God has been faithful, you for whom God has come, leave this place different than you came, leave this place changed for the better. Leave this place convicted to live holy. Leave this place waiting for God to show up for you this week. Go and go forth happy. Go and go forth filled. Thank you again for joining us today for worship. May God's deepest peace be with you this day. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Good morning. I am Kim Cartwright, and I'd like to welcome you to worship at Bethel Church. We are located in South Central Pennsylvania. It's the third Sunday of Advent, and our theme has been Company is Coming. Today's message is entitled, Deck the Halls. Let's open with prayer. Holy God of joy, we rejoice in the reality of who you are. We live within the joy of your love for us. Our contentment comes and goes. Our happiness ebbs and flows. Our feelings depend upon our circumstances, upon our physical health or our brain chemistry. But our joy is deeply rooted in our identity as your beloved children, and we give you thanks. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and welcome Christ, who is our light, into our midst. Amen. As we light the Advent wreath this morning, we will light the candle of joy. We want everything to look nice. The decorations of the season, our homes with their lights and tinsel, wreaths and ribbons. We want to lighten the darkness around us, bring beauty to the ugliness that wears us down. We decorate because it's tradition, because it lifts our hearts, because it makes us feel like children again. We deck our halls because company is coming. 
The prophet Isaiah smiled when he said, God will give you a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. No matter how far we feel from the spirit of the season, God promises to decorate us with love and with joy. We light this candle as a sign of our joy in the beautiful things of the season, not just the things that glitter and flash, but the deeper things, the beauty of the heart and the soul, the beauty of love shared in service and hospitality. We light this candle of joy because company is coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Isaiah 61, 1-4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for their glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, even though they've been deserted for many generations. Our gospel lesson is John 1, 6-8 and 19-28. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a, wit- a witness to tell about the light. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in this crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Advent theme has been Company is Coming, and we have been talking about being prepared. And today's message is entitled Deck the Halls. We have cleaned up the mess. We have used the cleaning crew to help do that. And now it's time to deck the halls. And the key point here today is this. John the Baptist testified to the people of a Savior they did not recognize. 
It's now our task to do the same, to do our best over and over again to point a world in need of grace to the Savior who died to save them. So part of our preparations for the holiday season involves taking inventory of our homes, finding out if there's any mess anywhere, and then cleaning it up. Why do we go through all this? Why do we finally vacuum under everything and rearrange some furniture? Why do we maybe even put some things away for a little while? We do it so that we can make room for the decorations. We do it so that we can have room for the Christmas tree. Although I have to say, I've, I've recently rearranged my living room to the point where I'm still not sure where I'm going to put the Christmas tree, but I still think I have a little bit of time to get that figured out. At any rate, we are ready to deck the halls, as the old song says. We decorate because we've got to make the place look great for those who are coming. And this year, 2020, we might have fewer people. We might not. We might have people coming in by Zoom or Google Hangout. No matter how we welcome our company this season, we want our welcome to be beautiful and our homes to be an inviting reflection of the season we celebrate because company is coming. It is Christmas after all. And I would guess that for most people, our decorations are somewhat, at least, of a reflection of who we are as people. The snow globe your aunt gave you from her own collection, the ornaments your kids made you throughout the years, maybe you still have the first ornament you and your spouse bought together as a married couple. We deck the halls to remember so that we can share with other people the things that are most important to us and the things that really define who we are. So overall, this holiday season creates quite a stir. And in our text today, John the Baptist creates a stir too. And the unique thing about John is that despite all of the hubbub surrounding him at the moment, he would be the first to tell you that who he was really didn't matter. And John 1, John points beyond himself. No, I'm not the Messiah, he tells the religious leaders. Now to us, this seems obvious. But in defense of the religious leaders, this was probably a fair question. They were, after all, the guardians and defenders of the Jewish faith. And John had gathered quite a following. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River. He seemed like a prophet. He at least seemed like someone who thought he was a prophet. So I believe it was an appropriate thing for them to ask. And again, it's obvious to us that John the Baptist isn't the Messiah, but we have the whole story here 2,000 years later. And yet, it might be a good idea to repeat this phrase to ourselves every now and then. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. Because no, we are not the Savior of the world. We can't fix everything. We can't save people. It's not even what God asks us to do. Salvation comes by faith in Christ alone because of God's amazing grace. And the only part we can take in it is that we accept this salvation as the gift that it is. Fixing and saving simply isn't our job. However, John points out that we do have a task in verse 23. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John the Baptist is not the Messiah, but he is the one preparing the way. 
He's also the one who recognizes the Messiah when he sees him. So God has called him to get the people ready. The message translation of verse 23 says this. I'm thunder in the desert. I am thunder in the desert. Make the road straight for God. I'm doing what the prophet Isaiah preached. Now, to me, this seems like a drastic change in translation to go from voice in the wilderness to thunder in the desert. But as it turns out, the Greek word for voice can also refer to thunder, which gives us a different image to play with here. Because the voice of God himself is often referred to as being like thunder. This isn't John speaking in his own strength. He is proclaiming God's perspective on the situation. John is quoting Isaiah 40 here. And I guess I've always thought of this image of the voice in the wilderness as being a a very lonely image. Someone crying out in the desert, echoing off the rocks, only heard by a few, like a lone coyote uh, out there in the wilderness howling. And as it turns out, it's really a much more regal image than this. John is actually leading a procession. He is clearing the way, building a road because the king is on his way. And he's not a lone voice at all. He's just running further ahead. He is running further ahead and building roads and tunnels and bridges of repentance, taming the wilderness before the arrival of this great king. And the double meaning of voice and thunder gives us another metaphor. If you live in the desert, thunder is a promise. In the desert, thunder is a rumble of anticipation for those who dwell there. It makes them stop. They look up at the sky. Because thunder in the desert is a promise of rain. And on a very basic physical level, rain can bring salvation. Water to drink, fuel for the harvest. The promise of new life. And for John's followers, this was not a promise of just a drizzle or a quick shower. John's message was of a storm that was soon coming. Because when God arrives in town, it's disruptive. You can't go on as you were. Things get shaken up. You might welcome the rain. But you want to run for shelter from the storm nonetheless. People don't always like storms. I know when we were growing up, my mom didn't like storms and she still doesn't. She has this fear of a tree coming down on the house. Praise God, that's never happened. Uh, But in this storm, in this case, John, the herald of the good news, ends up getting beheaded and the king ends up dying on a cross. And yet the rain still comes. Water still seeps into this dry ground and barren soil gives up a harvest. And you know, when I think about this thunder in the desert metaphor, the anticipation of hearing thunder awaiting the rain, I think we've lost something of that anticipation, that excitement. And I know I have many times life carries on as normal We get too used to the silence of the wilderness, the status quo of life. And yet John the Baptist is a reminder. There's a rumble of thunder on the horizon, a voice crying out in the desert. 
The king is on his way. The rain falls in his wake and the desert bursts into life. John is a reminder for us to point people to the one who does matter, the promised savior of humankind. And John tells us the reason we need to proclaim this promised savior in verse 26. Right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. I see him, but none of you do. Our gracious God sent a man named John to point people to Jesus because without John, they would have never recognized Jesus. And this truth remains today. And, you know, we use phrases like the hands and feet of Christ and the only Jesus some people will ever see. Uh, as they end up being somewhat cliche. Maybe we overuse them. But the thing is, they remain the truth nonetheless. Our lives, our words, our actions, our compassion may truly be the only Jesus some people ever see. We are the hands and feet of Christ. It's what he's called us to, to continue his work until he comes again. We are not called to save, but we, like John, are called to prepare the way, to be the rumbling voice in the desert that causes people to pause and recognize the Savior Jesus. John the Baptist testified to the people of a Savior they did not recognize, and it is now our job to do the same, to do our best to point a world so much in need of grace to the Savior who died to save them. How do we do that? We deck the halls. We deck the halls in our homes, our yards, our porches with bright and shiny things. We decorate our lives, our very beings with the things that invite others to share in our joy, the things that are important to us, the things that reflect who we are as Christians, the ways, attitudes, behaviors, that reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ. Like John the Baptist, we are not the Messiah. But we are the people God calls now to prepare the way for others to meet him. And like John the Baptist, we are called to offer the same prophetic message of hope. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. And to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I encourage you this week to say these words to yourself every day. Make it very personal. The Lord anointed me to bring the good news. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Make it personal. People struggle with what God's will is for their life. This is God's will for your life. Church, the Lord brings the good news. The Lord, through the prophet, proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. But then we are the ones who bind up the hearts. We are the ones who rebuild. We work because we believe. We build because we hope. And because we hope, we are blessed. So we were in the Gospel of John today, and both John the Gospel writer and John the Baptist call us to hope. John the Baptist is presented in a way as to point beyond himself towards the one who comes. John 1, 6 to 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light 
so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. John was not the light, just like you and I are not the light. But we light the light so that Jesus, the true light of the world, will be seen. And we deck the halls. We decorate our lives in ways that reflect who we are. Beloved children of the living God, followers of the King. The company we prepare to receive is always both Jesus and the ones he came to save. We do not have an either or calling. We do not wait for the return of Christ by excluding other people. We acknowledge them as a part of the company for whom we now wait. We love our neighbors as we love ourselves out of a devotion for the one who came to save us. We bind up the broken. We comfort those who mourn. We offer a healing presence to those who suffer with acts of love and service. That is to be our our preparation for the company that is coming. Until Christ comes again, we practice receiving him by receiving the ones he came to save. Amen. Let's pray. God, you share with us words of hope, words of good news. Sometimes we are unable to hear them because the source is too familiar. You call us to share the good news with those around us, but sometimes we are unable to share because the people know us too well and we know them too well. You encourage us to send messengers to other places where they will be heard better, but we can be jealous, wanting the good news to be just for us and not for them. In the many ways we have avoided and hidden your message of freedom and healing, in all the ways we have kept the Jubilee year from happening and have left the path of true wisdom, we seek your strength and truth and call upon your grace to lead us back on track. I invite you to take a few moments, silently confess before God. Friends, hear these words of assurance. This is the time of God's favor. God's grace continues to proclaim, release to the captives, sight to the blind, good news to the poor, and freedom to the oppressed. We live as loved, forgiven, and free people through the grace of God. Hallelujah. Amen. I invite you now to join me in the Lord's Prayer as you are accustomed to praying it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I leave you with these words. Go in peace. Love and care for one another in the name of Christ. And may God the Father bless you richly. May Christ the Son pour the riches of his grace upon you. And may the Holy Spirit 
our comfort and our support lead you in the path of hope and of peace, of joy and of love, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. May God's deepest peace be with each of you.